Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm coming at you from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you again for joining me today. Excited as always to be here. Great show lined up for you. First segment we're going to have today is all about the front door. How do you get your dog to stop barking? How do you get them to sit and stay and wait for your guests? We're going to cover all that top to bottom. Then we're going to have a client success story. Uh, It's a story about a client really early on in my career, and it really was an interesting time. So talk a little more about that, and it's really cool. Then, of course, we have our breed of the week, followed by our guest spot. Today's guest, Stephanie Cohen from Canine Companions for Independence. And a lot of us know CCI as the amazing company that provides service and therapy and all kinds of great dogs, and we're going to talk more about that with Stephanie Then we're going to finish things off with our listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, don't forget to email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. In the meantime, sit, stay, and enjoy today's podcast. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's all about the front door. If you have ever wondered how to take control over your dog in the front door, well, you're going to find out right now. The first thing we need to know about taking control over the front door is we have to be able to utilize our redirections well. Now, just a reminder, a redirection is pretty much what it sounds like. It's either a mental or physical means in order to regain focus with our dog. Now, I don't care if you're working with a dog, a cat, a bird, or a tiger even. Um, The most important thing when we're working with animals is knowing where their focus is and being able to control and manipulate it. That's that's really what training is about. It's it's manipulating and controlling focus. So I need to know where that animal's focus is in order to be able to manipulate and control it, right? Now, we all pretty much know where a dog's focus is going to be when the doorbell rings, it's on the door. Uh, so that's the easy part, okay? But being able to redirect that focus, being able to get, it, get them off of the front door, that's a little harder, okay? So we're going to talk more about that. Now, before I even, before we get to full-blown, someone comes to the front door, door, doorbell rings, triggering the barking, they're going nuts and trying to calm them down. Before we even get into that, we have to gain success with the front door without anybody there, without any triggers, without the doorbell, without somebody at the front door to be, to make it overexciting. Okay, this is, I think, where most people miss out. We try to fix the behavior in the moment. We try to fix the dog's behavior when someone comes to the front door, when we're not expecting a delivery guy. And that's where we're trying to fix this behavior. And that's just kind of silly when you think about it, you know? You're kind of setting yourself and your dog up to fail in that moment because you've given them no other information to work with other than what they've been doing, which is probably barking and losing their mind and not being able to control them. Okay, so we have to start thinking of it differently. If I need my dog to change their behavior when this when the sometimes unpredictable trigger comes, a doorbell, a delivery guy, then I, I have to start with it as controlled as possible. Look, this is what training is about. Like I said, it's control. So the more variables that I can control and set up for success in order to condition and strengthen a behavior I'm looking for, a desired behavior, such as being calm at the front door, in order to, to, to get that, well, then I'm going to have to start with little baby steps. I'm going to have to start with nobody at the front door, like I said, okay? So you're going to actually, this is, again, the disconnect here. I think that most people don't realize, oh, I have to do some in-between work to get them to stop barking once someone does come to the door. Okay. So how do we get there? What do we do? The first thing we need to do 
as always when training and working with our dog, is leash them up. Look, even if they're just going to drag the leash around, I still want to leash my dog up so I have the ability to guide and direct if I need it. You don't want to be chasing your dog. Some people have small, very fast dogs, and when the doorbell rings, they're and they're running and pacing and going back and forth, they're jumping to the other window, going to this window to bark at the It can be a little chaotic, okay? So the first thing we want to do is leash them up. Make sure that leash is on, okay? Again, we're, we're starting before the trigger's even happening. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leash up my dog. I'm going to take a dog bed, and I'm going to put that dog bed over by the door. Then I'm going to teach my dog a place or a spot. Now, I've briefly kind of touched on this in the past. A dog bed can be utilized as a reference point for your dog. Um, I like having that reference point by the door. It makes it very crystal clear and black and white to your dog. Hey, someone comes to the door. You go sit down over there. uh, You get rewarded. And then we can run through the process of inviting our guests in. And we'll get to that. But for now, I'm going to leash my dog up. Take the dog bed over to the door, teach him a place, a spot. We're not going to get too into depth on how to teach a place, how to teach a spot. So let's just assume our dog knows how to do that. Okay, so I take the dog bed over there. Now we're going to run through a training exercise. I'm going to tell them, go place, go spot. They go to their dog bed. I'm going to ask them to sit and stay at the dog bed. And then the next thing I need to do is to be able to create distance. I need to be able to walk away from that dog bed. The dog stays and I can invite my guests in. So I have to take it baby steps. I'm going to only back away two feet the first time and tell them to stay. Then I'm going to walk in and give them a treat and reward it. Then I'm going to rinse and repeat it. Back away two steps, tell them, good, stay, good. Walk in, give them a treat and reward it. Do it again. Back away two or three steps, tell them, good, stay. See if you can extend it by five seconds that time. Walk in and reward it. So on and so forth. We're going to rinse and repeat that two to four steps a couple times. Then I'm going to turn it into 10 feet away. Rinse and repeat it 10 feet away a couple times. Then I'm going to make my way over to the door, but you know what? I'm only going to touch the doorknob because a lot of times for a dog, even something as simple as the noise of that doorknob moving can be a trigger for that overexcitement. So I'm going to start desensitizing them to that. Touch the doorknob, walk back over, give them a treat, tell them, good, stay. Walk back over, touch that doorknob again. They don't move, good, stay. Give them another treat. Now, what happens if the dog does get up? What happens if they do get up off the dog bed? Not a problem. You know why? Because the dog is leashed up. All I have to do, pick up that leash, gently guide them back to the bed, tell them go back to spot, go to place, sit, stay, run through the motions again. Okay. All we're doing is strengthening and patterning the behavior of you sit still, I walk to the door. You sit still, I walk to the door. You sit still, you get awesome things, food, (laughs) treats. I walk to the door. We're keeping it really simple and strengthening something simplistic and easy for them. They have a reference point of the spot, makes it easy to understand. Now, we open the door. Now I'm going to take it up a notch. We're going to go to the next step. I open the door. The dog continues staying good, stay, reward it, treats. This is starting to sound familiar. (laughs) It's all about rinse and repeating, taking it to the next step. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, take it to the next step. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, take it to the next step. Okay. That's how we get there. Now, of course, again, we haven't had the doorbell ring, so it didn't make them overexcited to begin with. And there's nobody at the front door yet. But what we're doing is strengthening and patterning that behavior of one double or taking away the overexcitement of the door just by running through this. And again, too, we're patterning a new behavior. You come to the front door, you sit down, you stay. That's awesome. 
Now, if you can do this two to three times a day with nobody at the front door for two weeks, you will be shocked how good your dog will get at sitting and staying at the front door, right? Okay, so now let's take it up to bringing our guests in. Oh boy, (laughs) this becomes more difficult because now you're not only having to control your dog's behavior, but you're going to have to control your guest's behavior. Now, the easiest way to do this the first few times is have a guest that you know will cooperate, (laughs) that you know will take direction from you. Uh, And what I like to do is tell your guests, give them a heads up, say, hey, look, we're training our dog today, teaching them to ignore people at the front door. Do me a favor. Just hang out at the front door, pretend like my dog isn't there, no eye contact, they don't exist, and I'll give you further direction. But just stay outside until I tell you to come in. That's really all you have to ask your guests to do. And I tell my clients this too. You have to control your guests. You do. Uh, Otherwise, it makes it a lot harder. (laughs) It really does. If they over-engage the dog, it's just going to make your life a little more difficult until they know what to do. Look, once our dog knows how to sit and stay, and, and, and I can invite the guest to walk right in, not a problem. I mean, really, not a problem. Then your guest can say hi to the dog, and it's not a big deal. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, but for now, to start with, the first few times I bring a guest over, I want it to be as controlled as possible, because that's what training is about. We start as controlled as possible, and then we slowly remove the control in the hopes that it, it sticks around, right? Control stays there, even without us having to be so controlling. Uh, okay, so... The first time we bring a guest to the door, the doorbell's going to ring. The dog's going to go, rrr, 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 and lose its mind, as it should. A dog should bark at the front door. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, my dogs know when I say to stop barking, you stop barking, okay? And we can get to that. But to begin with, a dog isn't going to understand that if you haven't taught them that. So to me, the easiest way to do it is to go over and you can try to, you can, look, you can try to redirect with, hey, or maybe snap your finger or call their name and try to redirect them away from the door. But the easiest way is just to go right over to them and leash them up. You don't even need to say anything. Go over, leash them up, guide them away from the door, say, hey, go spot. You don't need to make a big deal. You don't need to yell at them. You don't need to make it this big, oh, quiet, stop. Because then they're just going to reflect back at you and go, oh, we're being loud and yelling at the door. Okay, let me do it too. (laughs) Okay, so you don't need to make a big deal about it. And again, to me, the easiest way is just go right over, leash them up, guide them away from the door, tell them to go to their spot. And that's why that reference point, that's why the dog bed is so important because it can actually serve as a phenomenal form of redirection to redirect your dog's overexcitement away from the door, be able to guide that focus into a, into a healthier channel of sitting, staying, and calming down. And then now you have a behavior you can reinforce and work with. And then you can invite your guests. Okay, so let's get to the guests coming in, right? Okay, I've leashed my dog up. They've stopped barking. I told them to go to their spot. They're at their spot. They're sitting, staying. Take your time here the first few times. Don't just immediately open the door up and go, oh, guests, come on in. No, no, no. We're going to run through the motions. I'm going to put them on their bed, sit, stay. Walk two, five feet away. Stay. Good. Go over, reward them. 10 feet away. Good. Stay. Go over, reward them. Then I'm going to get to the door, touch the doorknob. Good. Stay. Feed them. I need to be able to reward and strengthen that behavior a few times before I just open the door. Okay. Very important. Then I get to the point of opening the door. I say, hey, welcome, guest. Do me a favor. Just hang out on the front porch. Stay right there for me. I'll tell you when to come in. Just ignore my dog. Don't worry about him. (laughs) Okay? Go over. Reward the stay. 
we're going to hang out at this point. We're going to have the door open. My guest is still outside on the front porch and the dog is still staying on the dog bed. We're going to hang out for a minute or two in this position here to make sure our dog is listening, to make sure our dog is focused, and as usual, to make sure I have time to strengthen and reward that behavior a few times before we progress in our training here. Okay. Let's say one or two minutes goes by, I'm able to reward the behavior, the dog hasn't left the dog bed, everything's phenomenal. Then I will invite my guest in just barely into the doorway. The dog is still going to be sitting staying. Now at this point, at this point if the dog pops up, the dog gets off the dog bed as you invite your guest in, you need to tell your guest turn around and leave, shut the door, put the dog back on the dog bed, hit the reset button, try it again. Run through the motions again. It should be a little faster second time around, but run through the motions of again uh, of it again. Open the door, tell them stay, wait it out for a minute, let your guest stay outside, so on and so forth until you can get back to trying to invite your guest in. Okay, I know this is a slow process. I know there's a lot to this. And you're like, oh my gosh, David, this is whew, this is a lot of stuff. <laughs> this is a lot of motions to invite my guests. Yes, it is, it is. I'm not gonna lie, guys, it is. This is work sometimes, but I promise you the first time it's going to take you 20 minutes to get your guest in your house. Second time is going to take 18 minutes. Third time is going to take 15 minutes. Fourth time is going to take 10 minutes. Fifth time is going to take you about eight minutes. <laughs> Sixth time, five. So on. You're talking about eight repetitions. If you can't put in the time of eight repetitions in that much time for a lifetime of getting your dog to sit and stay at the door and being able to welcome guests in nicely then you need to get a cat, my friend. <laughs> you need to get a cat. This is what it takes to create a good dog. But I promise you, especially if you do this as a puppy, oh my gosh, you won't. this will take no time at all. You can just run through the motions real fast. If you're consistent and you put in the time, you will see the results. So I know this seems like a lot, but here's the cool thing. I want you guys to go to my Instagram. You're going to see the end result. Okay, I'm going to post a video up there. Uh, I may find a good, I may, I'm going to actually, I think I'm going to do a little digging in my, my GoPro files from years ago. Uh, see if I can't find a good one with a bunch of dogs lined up. Uh, we'll see what I come up with. But the point is, go visit my Instagram. Uh, the Instagram, of course, is speakadogcast. You can find me there, at speakadogcast. Uh, you're going to see a video on there of me, of the end result of this, of me inviting somebody into the house with all my dogs sitting and staying, releasing them one at a time. And you'll see it only takes a matter of a minute or two to invite my guests. And now the only reason it even takes a minute or two is because I have multiple dogs. <laughs> I don't release them all at once. I release them one at a time. Uh, but if you only have one dog, it takes no time to do that. So I can't stress it enough. Put in the time, put in the effort, and you will be it, it pays off and it feels so good in the end when your dog greets people nicely and wonderfully and calmly, happily, of course, but not overexcited. So this may seem like a lot, but I promise you, I promise, promise, promise it's worth it in the end. So, so check out, uh, in my Instagram account at speak a dog cast, and you can see a video of the end result, but let's get back to it. Our guest has come inside. The dog is sitting, staying on the bed, all is well. Where do we go from here? Well, I pick up the leash, I guide them over to my guest, and here's the little trick. I'm going to let you in on the secret. You're going to guide them over to your guest. You're going to let them sniff hello for I'm talking a half a second. Half a second, and then you're going to turn and walk away with that leash and guide them away and give them a treat for walking away from your guest. You're going to rinse and repeat that at least five to six times. Walk up, let them sniff for a half a second, turn and walk away immediately and give them a treat for walking away. 
by the seventh or eighth time, your dog is going to walk up, sniff them, go, yeah, 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 hi, 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 turn around and look for their treat. And what you're avoiding is overexcitement. What you're avoiding is jumping on your guest. What you're avoiding is all that undesired behavior that you never let happen so the dog never practices it, so they never do it. Okay? Then, once your dog doesn't really care about saying hi, then your guest can say hello all day. Then they can sit and sniff and all good. But I take it little baby steps. I let them sniff for a half a second for five or six times, then a full second five or six times, then five seconds, five or six, then ten. and before you know it, the dog will just hang around and get love and be pet on and love it. And it's all good. And it'll be calm as a cucumber. Okay. But all because I never let that behavior escalate. The important key factor of that is I keep it short and sweet. Keep the intro, keep the sniff, the initial hello to your guest really short and sweet. That's the first part. And the second part is when you turn and guide them away, you're rewarding it with a treat. That way you're teaching them to walk away from somebody and not get overexcited and they get rewarded for it. You're increasing that, that behavior. Okay. You're strengthening that behavior. So let's put it all together now. Let's, 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 let's see what the big picture looks like. Again, you can go on the Instagram and check that out, but what is it? What does it look like? Uh, as I explain it. Okay. Doorbell rings, dog goes, woo, 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 barks at the door. <laughs> I'm going to walk over to the door. I'm going to leash them up. Don't have to say anything to them. Then I'm going to guide them over to their dog bed that's near the door, tell them to go to their spot or place. The dog will go to the dog bed. I ask for a sit. I ask for a stay. I give a treat. I back away a few feet, tell them good stay, go back in, give a treat. Rinse and repeat that a few times. Back away a few more feet to 10 feet now. Tell them good stay, walk in, give a treat. Rinse and repeat a few times. Then I'll walk over to the door, touch the door and hop. Tell them good stay, walk in, give a treat, rinse and repeat a few times. Then I'll open the door and ask my guests to stay outside on the porch. Tell them good stay again, the person and the dog, why not? (laughs) Rinse and repeat a few times. Then I'll invite my guest in, continuing to tell my dog to stay, walk in and reward, rinse and repeat a few times. Then when it comes time to say hello to the human, I will take my dog by the leash guide them into the person, let them sniff hello for only a second, use the leash to guide them away, reward it, rinse and repeat. Five seconds sniffing and saying hello. Use the leash to guide and walk away, reward it, rinse and repeat. Sounds like there might be a pattern here. And again, before you know it, if you take it in those little baby steps, if you use the treats, utilize redirections, utilize your leash, utilize guiding and focusing, uh, excuse me, guiding and directing their focus and their behavior, in no time you guys can have your dog greeting people at the front door like a champ. Okay? So the ideal world, it's a sit, stay, I open the door, I invite the guests in, hey, how you doing? I release my dog to go say hi to the person. They go over, they wag their tail, they say hi, but they don't get overexcited. That's what it should look like, full picture there, okay? Come full circle. And again, check out my Instagram, Speak a Dogcast. You can also find it on Facebook. I'll post it on there as well, Speak a Dogcast on Facebook, and you can see what the end result looks like with my dogs greeting people at the front door. So I hope you got a little info out of that and you learned a thing or two. And again, stick to those guidelines. Take it one baby step at a time. Make sure you always reinforce desired behavior and your dog will be greeting people at the front door in no time. Are you a young professional looking to grow your business in Martin County? 
The Young Professionals of Martin County is an organization devoted to helping future business leaders develop their business skills, become more involved in their community, and expand their social circles. Young Professionals of Martin County is a catalyst for bringing goal-oriented and social active people in their 20s and 30s together for professional and personal gain. The Young Professionals of Martin County organizes a number of events for its members that fosters an environment of networking, learning, and community involvement. Now, I myself, I just joined the Young Professionals of Martin County a couple of months ago, and even with all the corona craziness we have going on, I have to say that even just through avenues like social media and networking through that, I have found it to be a very welcoming and helpful community, and I've already made some great contacts. Now, our diverse group is composed of both homegrown talent and relocated professionals who have chosen to live, work, play, and engage in all Martin County has to offer. We invite you to advance your career, networking, and impact our greater community. Check us out today, ypmc.org. That's ypmc.org, the young professionals of Martin County. Next up on Speak Dogcast, it's a client success story. Now, this client goes back to uh, about eight maybe nine years ago, when I really was first starting my business. And this client really sticks out in my mind because it was quite interesting that it was the first time, I think, that in my career I had actually had to dive deep into somebody's personal life in order to conquer some of the behavioral issues that they were having with their dog. Now, it's fascinating. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Your dogs are a direct reflection of you, right? Uh, if you want to know what's going on in your personal life, you want to maybe dig deep into your own self, take a really good look at your dog. I tell people this all the time, fair warning, you may not like what you see, but it's always going to be truthful. And that definitely rang true with this client. Now, uh, I really loved working with her and her dogs. I had I had a fantastic time. I learned so much out of that experience, and it was phenomenal, I think, for everybody, really. Now, she had two dogs. They were a herding breed, and male and a female, and the male, of course, <laughs> not of course, I'm sorry, but uh, the male tended to be a little more, had, had more aggressive tendencies on the walks. Now, the dogs weren't always quite like this. Um, you know, they, they, I believe he was about seven years old, and she was five years old when I started working with them. So these, these weren't uh, dogs that came to her like this. These behaviors had developed over time. And over the past year, she said they really had taken a steep, dive off and and deteriorated quite a bit. And so at the consultation, it came out, we chatted a bit more and some of her personal life surfaced that she had, she'd gone through not a very nice divorce and it had been a little over a year at that point. And so there was an obvious and direct correlation to the dog's behavior and the divorce. And, you know, I see that a lot. It's, it's kind of hard to avoid it. Your dogs are such a part of your life and they become, like I said, such a direct reflection that you really can't avoid that. They're going to be a part of, of the good times and the bad. Uh, and they're going to reflect upon it. So so she was having trouble walking the dog. She was having trouble with greeting people at the door and trying to let people in the house. And it just was getting a little chaotic. The male would hear noises in the house and start reacting really quickly. And it was hard to get him under control. And then when he would react, the female would react. And, um, you know, so after I want to say about three or four sessions, I could tell we were hitting this wall. You know, we, we definitely, we were, we made some, some progress, but man, we were hitting this wall and I could tell she was a little flustered and frustrated. And, and, you know, I, I just point blank remember looking at her and going, Hey, are you okay? 
And at that moment, she broke down crying. She did. She broke down crying and she said, no, I'm not. And it was a tough moment. It was the first time I had experienced a client breaking down in front of me like that and, and really just being honest and opening up with me. And, um, you know, what we came to find out is that she hadn't really let go of a lot of the baggage that, that went, that goes with something like a divorce, you know, a lot, a lot that goes with that. And she hadn't let go of it yet. And it was in that moment I, I kind of got her to admit that. And not only that, look at her dogs and see the reflection of, of what it was doing to them and, and what that meant reflecting back upon her. And you could see just this, this, uh, this pent-up energy in her. And that was the pent-up energy we were seeing in the dogs. And, and I said, why are you holding on to this? I said, is he still around in your life? And he, no, he wasn't. he wasn't. He wasn't involved. But emotionally, she hadn't let go of it yet. And, you know, we all can associate that with that. Uh, you know, we're all, we're all human. We're all people. And for me, I, I'll admit it was things from my childhood maybe that I hadn't let go of certain things. And as an adult, I try to, to move on from them and not hold on to them and not let it get you down and not let it shape you into, you know, into something you don't like. But you could see the, the baggage and the weight on her shoulders. And, you know, she, I mean, again, I said, why, why don't you just let go of it? If he's not in your life, just let go. And she goes, I, I don't know why. I don't know what exactly really facilitated the change. You know, I can, you can hold up a mirror to somebody all day, but they have to choose to want to make that change. And luckily for me, this client, luckily for her, luckily for the dogs, this client did want to make that change. And I remember coming back just that even the next session, like a week later, and it was just this totally different woman standing there, totally different dog. She was, my, my client was confident. The dogs were walking better. They were listening better. She was more sure of herself. Just everything had kind of clicked. I think that it was like, why am I, first of all, why am I letting this guy get me down? Who's not even involved in my life anymore. And second, he's the one who screwed up, screw him. Uh, <laughs> no, but really it's, it's, you got to try to move on from that stuff. And she did. And it was such a, a really neat transition to see the change, not only in her dogs, but in her. And I it just, it was one of those, again, one of those turning points, one of those aha moments uh, of my career, right? I just remember thinking, wow, like that was, that was so powerful. That was so cool to, to make a change in somebody and dogs like that and going, this is definitely what I want to do. I love this. And it's, it's those little moments you always try to kind of hang on to and capture and uh, put, put, in your, put in your back pocket. So a moment when you're having a bad day, maybe try to pull that moment out and hang on to it, right? Uh, I think everybody maybe tries to do that. And if you don't, you really should. Find something in your career at work, maybe just something in your personal life that it was a moment that made you happy. It's a moment that makes you come back for more. And especially with a lot of the stress <laughs> we're all feeling right now. Those moments are really important to find, I think. And I, I try to remind myself of that every day, as hard as it might be some days, uh, remind myself to relish in those moments and appreciate that, you know, something I work for myself. I do what I love and that is fantastic. And not only that, I make a change in people's lives. That's, you know, I, I love being able to say that. And I, 
I, you know, I don't want to, it's like, I don't want to toot my own horn, but man, I like patting myself on the back. Uh, you know, I work for myself. I work alone. I don't have coworkers. I don't have a boss. I don't have, so sometimes I have to remind myself to, to be my own cheerleader sometimes because I forget. And, uh, those of you that work for yourself, maybe you can relate when you work by yourself, literally by yourself, not just for yourself. Um, it can be a little lonely. So <laughs> those moments you do make a change in your client's life. You have to, I got to remember to give myself a little more credit and, and make myself feel good about that. And there's nothing wrong with that. There really isn't. So remember to feel good about it. Good things you do in your life and personal and professional. Uh, and again, to me, it was really just phenomenal to see the change in the dogs and the person. And it really helped guide me further in my career. And it's something I really, I always remember and I'll always kind of cherish. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. Now, a week or two ago, I put out an informal poll on social media asking you guys what breed you wanted to hear about, and by far the most overwhelming response was the Shih Tzu. Yes, this week's Breed of the Week is the Shih Tzu. Now, we all know them to be part of the toy group, and they only get to be about 9 to 16 pounds. They have a life expectancy of 10 to 18 years, and although they're small, they are a surprisingly solid dog. I actually had a Shih Tzu growing up, and my parents currently have one as well. The dog I had growing up, her name was Ashley, and she was a great little buddy and companion dog. And, you know, Shih Tzus are known for being just that. They're being known for being really affectionate little pups, especially good with children. Now, as a small dog bred to spend most of their days lounging about inside royal palaces, they actually can make a great pet for those that live in an apartment or maybe only have a small backyard. These guys do take a lot of upkeep with their coats, very thick coats, and the long hair. Daily brushing is a must to avoid those knots, with special care being taken around the face and around the mustache area, making sure you're keeping that nice and clean. Special care also needs to be taken with their big eyes, making sure that they stay clear of debris. Daily exercise for these guys, it's necessary, but maybe minimal compared to most other breeds. But do remember, every dog, no matter the size, no matter the breed, needs a proper daily walk. They can be relatively easy to train as they are very eager to please people, but as always, early training and early socialization are the best way to ensure success with your dog. Now, Because of their heavy coats and short snouts, Shih Tzus tend to not do so well in the heat. They don't tend to tolerate uh, hot environments very well. And the breed does have a few potential health issues. Now, responsible breeders, they're going to screen for those health conditions such as hip dysplasia, patellar luxation, hypothyroidism, and eye anomalies. Now, the origin of the Shih Tzu, well, we all know where it can be traced back to. Ancient China, of course, royalty of ancient China. And the Shih Tzus have been depicted on tapestries from the royal palaces, some of those tapestries being as old as 2,000 years now, of course, with an old breed like this, their origin may not be completely clear, but there is distinct evidence that the breed was developed from crossbreeding the Lhasa Apso, the Pug, and the Pekingese. These crossbreeds were bred by Tibetan monks and given to Chinese emperors as gifts. The Chinese emperors loved and revered these dogs so much that almost nobody had actually ever seen the dogs outside the palace walls. In fact, if anybody was caught outside the palace with these dogs in their possession, they could be sentenced to death. 
Yes, now the Shih Tzus actually did have a practical use, though. You know, because of those thick coats, they would be placed in the robes of noble women and were even used as bed warmers. They were being placed at the feet of emperors and empresses to help generate heat. It does get kind of cold in Beijing in the winter, so I can understand that. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't until the 1930s that the breed made its way to, the, to America, and they became enormously popular in the 50s and 60s. Post-World War II, you know, soldiers were bringing back different breeds from around the world and uh, Asia as well. And those were one of the breeds that came back, and they have remained one of the most popular breeds even through today. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Boss. Located in Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our guest spot. And today's guest is Stephanie Cohen from Canine Companions for Independence. So please help me welcome to the show, Stephanie Cohen. How are you, Stephanie? Hi, I'm good. Good, good. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about uh, CCI, Canine Companions for Independence. So Canine Companions for Independence, um, we're a nationwide nonprofit organization that provides um, service dogs, or uh, technically call them assistance dogs, um, for people with physical disabilities, um, we place a variety of dogs. So um, we have what we call different categories. Uh, service, our service dogs go out with adults. Um, they do physical tasks like picking up dropped items, tugging doors and drawers open, turning lights on and off. Um, we have another category of dog that works with um, a usually a child or someone who's not able to care for the dog. So there's an adult who gives the dog commands, um, a facilitator in that sense. Um, and the dog is working for a recipient. Um, again, they can be any age and those kind of settings. And then facility dogs, um, those are really fun to train. Um, our facility dogs work with an able-bodied handler in a facility. So like physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, courthouses, all sorts of settings. Um, where they're able to just touch so many lives. And then lastly, we have hearing dogs. So they alert someone who's deaf or hard of hearing to something like a doorbell or a baby crying or someone calling their name. Um, and all of it is uh, free of charge, which is really cool. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And so what's your title and position with the company? So I am a trainer. My technical position is an apprentice three instructor, so um, it's a whole program to become an official instructor. It takes multiple um, advancements, and several years you start out as an apprentice 
are you start out as an instructor assistant as someone who kind of works in the kennel shadows trainers and you work your way up apprentice one two three and so here in the next few months i should be testing and uh becoming a full instructor nice fantastic well congratulations Thanks. <laughs> that's great and uh and you've been there a couple years now right how, how long you've been there yeah, so I started in April of 2017. Um, I started out in, I got sent out to the headquarters in um, Santa Rosa, California. And then I was there for about six months before they sent me back to Orlando, Florida <laughs> um, to work at this center here. Now, is that, uh, is that kind of like a standard protocol? Do they send everybody out to the headquarters to, to train or how does that work? Um, it used to be. Uh, it's how they're starting. They just remodeled the whole, um, training program. So now they're doing like regional because again, it's, it kind of the whole, um, diversity, diversity and inclusion, uh, movement that has been going on kind of nationwide and also within our organization, just to kind of make it more accessible for people who want to pursue this career. Um, now they're doing regional so you can start in the region that you plan to work in. Nice. Nice. Okay. That's cool. Nice. So Orlando is one of the regional offices for the company, right? Yeah. We have, um, South or Santa Rosa, California is our Northwest. Southwest is in Oceanside, California, near San Diego. Um, South central, which is in the Dallas Fort Worth area of Texas. Sure. Um, and North Central, they actually just got a brand new location. Um, they're in Ohio and obviously Orlando, Florida. And then there's one in um, Long Island, which nice. serves the Northeast region. Well, that's great. It really started to spread out. And in company's been around since what, 1975, if I'm not mistaken? Was yeah. That yeah. Yeah. We've been around since 1975. I believe we just had a, a quiz on this um, for our little holiday um, <laughs> Zoom get together. I believe we've placed uh, like 40, over 4,600 graduates wow. um, since then. That's a lot of dogs. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. You, you know, I actually had a, uh, my cousins, my first cousins years ago. Um, and I mean, this was, I, I want to say I was in middle school, maybe high school, but I think middle school, they were one of the, and I, and again, this is where I don't even know their exact, they were volunteer, um, with the company and they took in, if I think it was two different dogs, two different yellow labs, uh, to work and train with and, and help you guys out, which was really cool. Um, you know, I got all these animal <laughs> memories that kind of stick out from when I'm growing up. And that's one of them is it always was really neat. And I definitely remember, you know, you remember seeing the, the, the vest on them and the CCI yeah. logo and everything. Uh, but yeah, it was really cool. And it was neat to see that they were working with such a cool organization doing, um, you know, doing some great stuff with dogs. So that's, it's a lot of fun. And then I obviously I saw you were working for them and I said, well, we got to reach out and see if we can't get you to come on the show. So Cool. And I've actually, I've, I've known Stephanie a couple of years now. Um, you know, we, we, I don't, I don't think we actually ever worked together. Right. Um, I don't think so. I, I may have, I think I came in and filled in, you know, we used to, <laughs> to make the animal world is a small world. <laughs> you know, it really is. Um, and a lot of us tend to end up at some of those bigger theme parks <laughs> working with animals. <laughs> and that's actually how I know Stephanie is we, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends and people we know, and we've crossed paths quite a few times over the years. Um, so yeah, you know, we, we, we all know each other, <laughs> but yeah, that's how I got to know Stephanie a little. And I've always been, 
you know, really, I've always been very impressed. You you seem like such a hard worker and really just a go-getter. And that was, you know, one of the things we were kind of starting to chat about a little bit before we started this uh, interview was years ago, I had somebody tell me that Stephanie likes to do something new every year or do reach out and branch out and do something different or maybe something that puts you out of your comfort zone and helps you grow. And, um, you know, you can tell me, tell us a little bit about, I know you were telling me one of the things you branched out and did, but if you wouldn't mind elaborating a little bit, just cause I really liked it. Yeah. So aside from like working with animals, I guess to kind of build myself professionally and also personally, I've done a lot of Things, trying something new kind of almost every year. I did um, that comedy lab. I took their improv classes. I went through all four levels, um, which was a lot of fun. And surprisingly, it's helped me a lot, I guess, even personally, no matter where my career has taken me. Um, a lot of good skills. Um, from there, I started running, too, and um, have run half marathons and marathons. And then now I am pursuing a master's on top of working um, in anthrozoology. That's so cool. That's really neat. And you got, um, you went to what FIT and had got a specialization in animal, right? Something with a psychology degree. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What what was it exactly? Um, So my undergrad is a bachelor's of science in psychology, and I kind of concentrated in animal behavior. Um, There, the program, it really aligned with like ABA. Um, So it's very similar. Sure. Path. That's cool. Yeah, I just, really, you've always just impressed me with how hard you work and and you put a lot of passion behind everything you do. And I just think think that's so cool. Um, Really neat. You just put yourself out there and branch yourself. And again, you know, we worked at this animal show in one of the big theme parks. And, um, you know, people don't really think about when you get out there and you host one of these shows, you know, at at peak season during Christmas time, pre COVID, uh, you would have well over 2,000 people in the stadium staring at you. And there you are on microphone on stage by yourself. And not only are you hosting this thing, but you've got a bunch of animals that you're training and working with. And it's a lot. And it really takes a lot of of courage and organization and and having that drive to go out there and do something like that. So I just always thought it was really cool the way you you go about and, and, uh, and make yourself better, which is phenomenal. I love it. I love it. Um, so, so let's talk more about the dogs. Uh, yeah. You know, what's, well, I know, I know CCI, you guys really concentrate on the retrievers, which of course I love because they're my favorites. Uh, I've talked about that before. I am partial to retrievers. So you guys use what? Golden's labs and a mix of the two, correct? Yeah. Yeah. They're all labs yeah. golden. Um, most end up being crosses of the two. Okay. I'm trying to get kind of the best of both in sure. a sense. Um, and then of course, so we have a whole vet staff and breeding program. So everything is, they have to pass extensive health yeah. evaluations to qualify and everything. Yeah. And then the program, the training programs, how long are they before, you know, I mean, obviously you start when they're a young puppy, but what's the age they start? What's yeah. the age they graduate? So they're basically born into this role. Um, <laughs> they're again, born, um, in Northwest California or within about 90 miles of Santa Rosa. Um, From there, they're with a breeder caretaker, which is a volunteer. 
with them for, again, born to eight weeks old, eight weeks old. Um, they go into our vet clinic there, get their first rounds of shots, and then get sent on their way to puppy raisers across the country. That's been a challenge with COVID, um, but it's been really yeah. cool to see we have um, we have like private pilots who've been volunteering their time to help fly some of these dogs because we're not able to get direct flights for them across the country. Um, so from there, they with volunteer puppy raisers for about 18 months. Again, COVID's kind of messed around with things and yeah. um, we temporarily closed down and that pushed everything back and we're on a really weird schedule, but kind of catching back up. So typically about 18 months, um, their big role as a volunteer puppy raiser is socialization and then just kind of training the basics. Um, just, but really that's an opportunity to expose these dogs to a whole bunch of situations, take them out in public. We have some really cool programs too. So, um, colleges, there's a few college clubs, including UCF here in Orlando, Florida. Um, it's called step. And so it's college kids raising puppies, um, which is really cool <laughs> to see. <laughs> that's, that's cool. That's, Could that's be a interesting. Yeah. <laughs> And then another unique thing is we have correctional facilities who take part yeah. in part of that um, that 18 months. They'll have these puppies for a little bit, and then they um, have usually a finisher to finish up some of the skills and socialization. And then at about 18 months is when they turn into the nearest center, and that's when I start working with them and fine-tuning the floor skills that they've learned and then also um, – teaching them a big thing, which is the retrieve. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. So, you know, it takes, it takes a ton of work, ton of time. Um, you know, last week's episode was actually, I did a segment on, on service dogs, therapy dogs, and more about like the definition of what each individual is and their roles. And, um, but one of the biggest things I hit home at is, you know, I, I, when when I do a lot of in-home training, I have people that want to make their dogs therapy dogs or emotional support dogs or this or that. And here they are, the dog is 12 months old and it's, Oh, I want to start training it to be this guys. You don't understand what goes into making a true service and therapy dog. And, you know, again, I mean, anybody listening to this, you can hear with this company. I mean, this is, this is a legitimate, amazing company that puts a lot of time, understanding, education uh, behind making these dogs phenomenal. And so Stephanie can attest to that of the amount of work and time that it takes to make these dogs great. And then even at the end of the day, not every dog graduates, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's important that people really understand what it, again, what goes behind making these dogs phenomenal dogs. And it's a lot. It is a lot. So, so do you have a favorite breed that you like to work with specifically, or has there been a favorite dog that maybe sticks out in your memory? Um, I've had a lot of, I guess because they're, the breeds are very similar labs yeah, and I mean, crosses. It's sure. more the individuals that stand out yeah. to me. Um, the picture that I actually sent you, so his name is Hammy. Um, and so the, the way they get their name is when they're born, each litter is assigned a letter. And so, um, I guess donors, they can donate names or the breeder caretaker can like submit names for it. Um, but again, when you have like 800 puppies born a year, like they get really creative with names. And when I found out I was getting to train a dog named Hammy, I like instantly, I was like, he is going to be so like, I instantly just fell in love. Um, but he ended up being like so fun to work with. He ended up graduating. Um, 
And I had a coworker who was really motivating. He, he'd make us, he'd bet, like make a bet with us, but like it was more in our favor, um, which was really cool. It was really supportive. Um, he was a senior trainer and just kind of supporting us younger trainers at the time. Um, it was really cool. And so we had, we called a team hammy to get him uh, to graduate. And so I, when he graduated, I made socks. I got custom socks that had hamburgers and his face on them. Um, but each dog, like whether they make it through the program or not, like they've just have taught me so much. And it's just, it's just a really unique opportunity getting to know them and then later getting to know their puppy raisers and their graduates. And what's really unique is we have such an extensive graduate program. So like when these dogs, like I have them for six to nine months and then when they graduate with their person, I get to see it all um, through the lifetime of the placement. And that's just, and it makes it even better. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one thing to work with animals in general, working with animals is really fulfilling, but when you can add that human side in there too, and make a difference in a person's life and an animal's life, that's, that's a great feeling, you know, it is. And I like that a lot. Yeah. So you've also worked with a lot of different species of animals, not just dogs, right? So yeah. what would you say is your favorite? Well, we can go and say, let's say besides dogs, because maybe yeah. it's dogs are your favorite to work. I mean, I'm, I'm a little partial to working with dogs. I have my personal favorite, which I'm not, I won't reveal right now. I can save that for another time. Uh, my personal favorite species to work with. But what would you say is yours besides besides dogs? Uh, I'm going to have to say sea lions. I did an internship in college um, at the Birmingham Zoo and I got to work with their sea lions and uh, it's probably because they're basically like dogs. Like a big zigzag that I was going to (laughs) say. Yeah. yeah. I I unfortunately have not had that honor to work with a sea lion, but that's every, every, anybody I know that's had that chance has said that they're like big dogs that can just jump in the water and swim away from you. Um, (laughs) So that's cool. And I'm sorry, where, where did you say that was that you got to do the internship? I was at the Birmingham Zoo in Birmingham, sure. Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's really neat. How long were you there for that? Uh, I was there for about like three months okay. um, for a summer. It was really cool. And That's then uh, not with sea lions, but I also got to another summer. I interned um, up in Maine doing seal rehab. So oh, cool. different aspect of it, yeah. but still Kind of pens. <laughs> yeah. Did you get to do any like uh, any training behavioral work, or was it more of the husbandry side during the um, during the internship with the sea lions? Um, I did a little bit of uh, both. So they did a little. They had a cute little show. Um, it's a small zoo, um, yeah. but during the summer they put on a little show, which is super cute. And so they were training them. These were two sea lions who were actually um, deemed non-releasable. So that's why they got sent there um after multiple strandings um they're like they're not suitable um and so they got sent to the zoo and so they were training them to do they were young at the time i think they were only two um so i got to watch a lot of things get trained which was really cool and um i've since been back to kind of visit stop by um once and it was cool to see how big they've gotten because there was there was a male and a female and of course they were they were juveniles and now they're adults and the yeah. male has his um, sagittal crest and he's he's a big boy now. <laughs> yeah, that is too cool. That's fun. That's really fun. And did you ever did you do any bird of prey work when you were at uh, at that one place we worked at? <laughs> 
Um, a, a little bit, not too, too much. Yeah, I wasn't um, sure if they were going. I know Safari was there and she was yeah. still iffy on working with women at the time. So yeah, yeah I wasn't yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Safari was, actually I was talking with Adam. I had Adam on the show oh. a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we were talking about Safari and Safari, for those of you listening, she's a, she's what they call an African auger buzzard, uh, basically a hawk, but man, she didn't like, well, she didn't used to like women. They've now changed her behavior a bit and warmed her up more but man that bird hated girls <laughs> yeah, for a while yeah she hated me for a little bit <laughs> yeah she could be like i mean it's funny because i i loved her she'd snuggle up on me and just i mean you could i could literally almost hold her like a little baby in my arms but man there were some people she would see that she just would bait after them and did not like them so much so yeah so what's uh if you could just have in a, you're the first person I've actually asked this to. I'm just kind of curious. If you could have your dream job working with animals, I mean, like literally anything, let's say money's not a factor, funding's not a factor, what would it be? Oh, that's such a tough question. Right. Because I, I, I love the marine mammals. I love, well, particularly like seals and sea lions. But it always just keeps coming back to dogs. Uh, my mom recently told me she's like yeah when you were five you wished to have a hundred dogs and I was like I'm basically there (laughs) (laughs) um I would like to I mean I love I love what I do now I would love to get more into the the rescue and the welfare side of things I think especially if money was no question sure um and just being able to change dogs lives that way I think that's something that my college program has really introduced me to it's just kind of just like the mental lives of animals and the law and policy that's out there and just all that aspect of everything. So I guess, mm-hmm. I guess dog rescue. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. And using training in a sense to kind of, I guess, rehabilitate dogs. Yeah. Well, you can't, you know, you can't, mm-hmm. I mean, in all my years of experience, all my years, 10 years of experience, <laughs> uh, no, you can't, I don't think you can really separate the two, you know, I think behavior, Training is behavior, behavior is training, and, and I think you're right that especially when you have dogs that have trauma or rescue situations, it's you kind of have to combine those in order to rehabilitate them, you know? Um, so there is that behavioral and training side, but it's like behavioral is training, but people think of training, I guess, as sit, stay, you know, leave it, yeah. drop it, lie down, and in reality, I think that's one aspect of training, and really training is more behavioral um, that's just kind of the way I see it. And I always approach things from the behavioral side first and then anything else secondary. So, uh, but that's cool. Yeah. Have you, in, did you, have you ever done any, did you ever work for, no, you didn't work for a dog rescue. Did you, did you? No, no, no. I mean, growing up, I like fostered dogs sure. and that kind of stuff. Um, but no, not, well, well not that's, yet. That, that's <laughs> the, as I say, that's the big dream that it'll be Stephanie's <laughs> dog rescue someday. Right. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You know, down here, um, actually, if you, hey, if you ever get a chance, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to, working on talking with them, talking to you guys, Big Dog Rescue, I'd love to get an interview with you guys as well. Uh, no, there really is an amazing facility down here. It's down um, in Palm Beach County, and they're called Big Dog Rescue. You should check them out. I know you're up in Orlando. So probably, it's, it's amazing how we're only two hours away, but what different worlds we live in. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Florida's a big state. Um, but yeah, no, not, to, not that we got to sit here and plug them, but <laughs> no, it's an amazing facility. And the rescue, my point is the rescue's huge, and it's 
incredible what they've done and what they do for dogs and it's like right in line with um with definitely something that you would love uh and even hey you know give you give you some ideas for down the road when you open your place so uh but yeah just a thought neat place so you can check that out uh, but anyway get you know so so back to it uh what is the what's one really cool behavior? Because I mean, I know you guys do all kinds of things with teaching him to turn on light switches and open doors. And is there like one behavior in particular that sticks out that was just really cool or a lot of fun to train? I really like the things that kind of um, really get me like having to motivate the dog um, that are kind of harder and trickier. So I guess tug is one of them. Sure. Um, tug is like a combo of the dog, like using the retrieve skills and going back and holding onto like, it's usually a rope, um, like yeah. on a drawer door. Um, and it's just so rewarding when they do it. Um, and you can definitely tell like, they like, they work so hard um, trying to do it. And we get them to like, even like unlatch a door and all that kind of stuff. So I think I really like tug push is fun. Um, Cause there's just so many uses um, in the professional training that I do. We get them to, push drawers closed, push, um, push plates to open doors. Um, I've even done a few extra things, getting them to like push a, uh, a dishwasher closed. And it's just, and then cool. it's really cool to see the graduates and how they, they take these basic, I mean, they're actually pretty advanced things that we teach the dogs and they make it fit their lifestyle and they get the dogs to use these skills um, in their everyday life. And it's just, it's so cool. I've had, I've seen a graduate again using push. So um, they have very limited mobility in their arms. And so if their arm falls off of their power chair, the dog is trained to push their arm back up. Um, so it's wow. just, it's really, really cool. Wow. That's, that's neat. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's always when you make that connection, communicating with the dog like that, that's, it's in, it, you know, and training takes time, uh, you know, and doing that little building bit by bit. And then you get to see that end result. And it, it always, that's such a cool feeling. I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, obviously I don't do quite the same thing, but you know, that's the training process in general, whether it be a service dog or behavioral or training a fun trick. Um, that's, that's such a cool feeling. And it's what keeps me honestly coming back. And it's what I love about working with dogs, even more so than like working with a bird or anything, you know, the bird, you make that connection and it's like, yeah, they're like, yeah, great. Okay. I did it. And they give me my food, you know, <laughs> give me my nuts for the day. I'm good. Um, but you do it with the dog and it's like, there's that, there's that, just that extra special. The dog is so happy that it made you happy. Right. Um, and, and it's the only animal that you can really work with that. I feel like you get that feeling. Uh, and that's, that's just some of the neatness and, and amazingness of working with dogs. So I love that you, you feel that too and get the same out of it. It's a lot of fun, but really cool. Well, Hey, I, I really appreciate your time and you coming on and, and telling us more about what you do over at Canine Companions for Independence. And, uh, I tell you what, what's the, uh, what's the website for your company if people want to check out more info? Yeah, it is cci.org. Awesome cci.org perfect and there's all yeah. kinds of, and you know i was checking out the website there's all kinds of info on their history what they do services they provide hey if you are somebody out there that uh maybe does need maybe needs to look maybe wants to look into more of uh what they do and what they can provide and you maybe have a need for an assistance dog or service dog uh definitely check out cci.org they are a great organization and again you guys you, you place the dogs for free uh you know for the people and that's that's just amazing what you guys do and i i'm Everybody out there, I'm sure, is very grateful. So thank you again for your time. Thanks for coming on the show, and I uh, really appreciate it.
Thank you. Thanks, Stephanie. Take care. (laughs) In these crazy times we are living in right now, there is only one thing for certain. You got to eat. And if you got to eat, you better eat good. I know when I'm cooking and eating at home, I only want to use the highest quality ingredients. So I turn to my friend Ken Ko over at Southern Pride Gourmet Foods. You can check him out too over at southernpridegourmetfoods.com. Now they have barbecue sauces, spice rubs, hot sauces, and jellies just to name a few. I got my hands on some of that peach habanero jelly and I was putting it on everything. I was eating it on my toast in the morning. I also took some of Ken's barbecue sauce, slapped it on some pork, finished it off with some of that habanero jelly, stuck it in the oven, and it was sweet tangy, spicy deliciousness. Absolutely amazing. Now, when you buy from Southern Pride Gourmet Foods, you know you're getting a quality product from a quality guy. Ken knows what he's talking about, and he better. He's been doing it right and doing it right for over 50 years. The best part, guys, Southern Pride delivers nationwide. That's right, nationwide delivery. Now, he also has amazing gift baskets, and with the holidays coming up, you're definitely going to want to get your hands on those, and definitely be sure you get your hands on some of the beef jerky Ken sells. It is some of the most delectable beef jerky I've ever tasted. I am a beef jerky fanatic. All different kinds of flavors to choose from. You know, you just have to do yourself a favor. Head on over to southernpridegourmetfoods.com. Check it out for yourself. That's right, southernpridegourmetfoods.com, where everything they have is yummy for the tummy. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. Today's first question comes from Sarah in Coral Springs, Florida. Sarah asks, why does my dog lick me? Well, Sarah, short answer is your dog is taking in your scent as well as it's affectionate. Uh, it's an affectionate ritual for dogs to lick. Now, you know, they're, they're, they can actually take in the scent as they lick and the scent will be guided to their nose. And of course, they really love to get to know their owner's scent and be close with their pack. Now, there have even been studies that have measured a dog's brain activity while it's licking. And it's been proven when a dog licks, endorphins are released and it releases and relieves stress. Next question. This comes from Connor in New York City. Connor asks, why do dogs chase their tails? Short answer is, well, it's a natural form of play for predators to chase their tails when they're young. So for a puppy, it can come from boredom a little bit, and it usually subsides once a dog reaches adulthood. Next question. This question comes from April in Orlando, Florida. April asks, how do I get my puppy to stop mouthing me? Short answer, well, You want to try to redirect to a dog toy. So the first thing you want to do is tell the puppy no in a stern voice, not no. (laughs) Okay, none of the dips. We don't want to get the dips. It's a nice stern no. Okay, I'll also stiffen up my hand. That way the puppy doesn't think I'm playing with them. Then I'll grab the dog toy, give them the dog toy to chew on. The second they start mouthing the dog toy, of course, I reinforce it with good, good boy, good girl. Okay. Now, if redirecting doesn't work, well, then, yeah, you kind of have to take it up a notch to a form, uh, a more severe form of punishment. And you can always just use a very light collar correction or some nice touch corrections as well. 
That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much again for joining me today. And thank you to Stephanie Cohen from Canine Companions for Independence for joining on the guest spot. For more information on that great organization, check out cci.org. And don't forget to click that subscribe button if you haven't already. Leave us a rating or a review. And of course, if you have questions for the listener Q&A, email me at questions at speakadogcast.com. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. And don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.